Well, hello. Welcome to Hope City Church. I hope you are doing well. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor and uh, just excited that we're going to get to be together uh, for this time wherever you are a part of this service, wherever you're watching, Shepherdsville, maybe here at South Louisville, online, uh, more and more of you are. uh, Just excited uh, that we get to be together. And we are starting a brand new series called Long Story Short. I'm really, really excited about teaching it. I know I say that about every series, but I mean it uh, because, uh, man, this one's been sitting on me for a while uh, just because I'm so passionate about the Bible and passionate about helping you uh, learn it and love it. And so, uh, yeah, this is going to be a good, good time over the next 10 weeks, 10 weeks uh, sorry for all my ADD folks, but we're going to do it. Ten weeks, uh, we're going to cover the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We're going cover to cover to try to understand the story of the Bible. And you can think of it like a game of connect the dots. Does anybody remember connect the dots? Anybody eat at Cracker Barrel recently with a kid? You could play connect the dots That's really what we're doing. Each week, we're going to kind of draw a line from story to story to understand how this book helps us get to know the God who who wrote it. Let's be honest, the Bible can be a little bit intimidating. It was written over a a period of roughly 2,000 years uh, from three continents in three different languages. It's a collection of 66 books, but it's really just... One book, it was written by 40 different authors from farmers to fishermen to poets to prophets to kings and generals. It was written in caves and palaces and prisons, but there's really just one author. It is filled with history that can be historically verified. It's filled with science that can be scientifically certified. It contains all different kinds of literature from history to law to poetry to prophecy, even an apocalyptic ending. I mean, this book is unbelievable, but it's still just one story. And if you've ever tried to read the Bible from cover to cover, pretty quickly you realize that you get to some stories and some laws and some numbers that don't really make much sense. And you think to yourself, well, this part probably doesn't matter. But that's not true because every word written in the Bible is a word from God. It's a word from God. It is literally the word of God. Of God, And it was written for you and for me and for every person who's lived before us and for every person who will live after us. But the challenge, if we're being honest, is that for most of us, reading the Bible is pretty underwhelming. It's an underwhelming experience. According to, to Barna Research in, in 2019, only 5% of adults said that they interact with the Bible frequently, and that the Bible is transforming their relationships and shaping their choices. And so most of us would not say that we have an engaging, exciting relationship with the Bible. And I, I think at least part of the reason for this statistic is that when we finally get the time or the courage to try and to read it, 
We, we jump in with enthusiasm. We got lots of enthusiasm, but not much context. We don't know the story of the Bible. So we just read hoping to, to find something inspiring. We open the Bible hoping that God will, will speak to us like a, like a message in a fortune cookie. We hope that today is the day, the lucky day, when we actually read something that is, that is the answer we've been looking for or the inspiration that we need or the encouragement to keep going. And sometimes it is. And God speaks that way to us sometimes, but most of the time we're, la- we're, we're left scratching our head, wondering what it means and why it, it matters. Reminds me of the story I heard one time of the guy who decided to read the Bible looking for some inspiration, and so he grabbed the Bible off the shelf and he just flipped it open and just kind of pointed to a scripture, and the scripture that he pointed to was the scripture that said, and Judas went and hung himself. He thought, well, that's not very inspiring. So he flipped a couple of pages and just pointed again. And he pointed and it said, go thou and do likewise. It's like, that's not really the method that we want to use reading the Bible. It's okay, you can laugh at the joke. It's all right. But that's not really the method that we want to use. We, we want to, to go a little better than that, a little more than point. And, and choose and Bible falling off a bookshelf to a passage. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be inspired when you read the Bible, but the Bible is, is not just inspiring, it's inspired. And what does that mean? Well, it means that even though the Bible was written by men and assembled by men and, and, and it was printed by men, it's not a man-made book. That God put the words he wanted in the order he wanted to say what he wanted. And if that was all he did, that would be amazing. But that's not all he did. He didn't stop there because the Bible is a living thing. It's active and moving. And that probably sounds a little bit strange if you've never heard that before. But it's true. It's a living, breathing, acting, active, and moving book. And I want to show you what the Bible says about itself. And we read this verse a lot uh, around here. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. But this is how the Bible describes the Bible, all right? It says, for the word of God, that's the Bible, the scriptures, is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And this means that not only... Were the words inspired by God, but they are still inspiring. That when we read the Bible, it judges the attitudes and the thoughts in our heart. It's, it's not just a book, it's a mirror into our souls. We say all the time here at Hope City that when you read the Bible, the Bible reads you. As Christians... We don't just read it. It is the authority for our life. It is the standard for our life, the foundation for our life. It dictates our beliefs and our feelings and our actions. The parts we like, 
the parts we don't like, the parts that we don't understand yet. The Bible, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, the Bible is the standard and the foundation by which you, you, you build your life. A Christian who doesn't read the Bible is like a mechanic with no tools. It's like a car with no gas. It's like a Mexican restaurant with no chips and salsa. It's like peanut butter without jelly. You, you can't have a relationship with God but not know who he is or what he says or what he wants you to know. So, so that means that sitting on your bookshelf maybe or a kitchen table or that unopened app on your phone is a living, breathing, moving Holy Spirit-inspired message from God. Maybe you've thought or wondered, like, I wish God would just speak to me. He does as often as you want in the pages of your Bible. But in order to better understand what God is trying to say to us, we need to understand the big story of the Bible. We need to understand the context, and so that's what we're going to do over these next 10 weeks. We're going to do a flyover and, and connect the dots from the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation, to understand who God is and what he is saying to you and me. So my question is, are you ready? Are you ready? Can you tell I'm a little excited? I mean, now you got me in my sweet spot, all right? I'm ready to go. I, let's do this, a couple of cups of coffee today, and jacked up on Jesus, and I get to talk about the Bible. Let's do this, all right? Now, we're going to get started on the very first page of the Bible, and there are Bibles around you, and I know that, that the scriptures are, are on the screen, uh, but I really want to encourage you that this series, this week and this series, to like go ahead and grab a Bible, because we're going to be looking at a lot of it and reading a lot of it, and I want you to read along with me, no offense to your phone, you can use that if you want, but man, just get the, get the tissue paper Bible out, you know, and let's do this thing, okay? Now, Genesis chapter 1, probably not the very first page, but the very first starting page of the scriptures. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very first three words say, in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning, which begs the question, what was before the beginning? Well, God. God was before the beginning. The beginning of the Bible is not the beginning of time because God supersedes time. And if that gives you a headache, you are thinking about it correctly. God was before the beginning, but the beginning of the Bible is the beginning of civilization as we know it. And the first two chapters of the Bible allow us to meet God the Creator. Now, there's a fancy theological word for what we're going to be doing over the next 10 weeks. It's called progressive revelation. Okay, But you don't have to call it that. But what that means is that the more that you read the Bible, the more that God is revealed to you. And the more that you study it, the more you learn about Him. And so we're starting with God the Creator, and if you've never read the Bible before and you're starting in the first two chapters of Genesis, all you know him as is God the Creator. But the Bible has over 400 names for God. 
we get to meet the first one, God, the creator. But by the very end of the book, he will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But we get to meet God, the creator. So let's read what he created, Genesis chapter 1. And uh, we're going to read the creation story. It's 27 verses. And uh, I'm excited that you get to read along with me. So hang in there with me. This, is, this one's a little long. But Genesis chapter 1, start at verse 1. We're going to read 27 verses. This is the creation story. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, saw that the light was good. And then he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day and the darkness night, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that's what happened. God made this space to separate the waters from the earth from the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And this is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produce plants and trees of the same kind and the weeds and the dandelions that grow in your front yard. This is that category. And God saw that it was good, which not totally, but you get my point. And evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. Still with me? 14, here we go. Then God said, let the light appear, let light appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And this is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, and we are four for four. Verse 20, then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And all the fishermen said, Amen. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, verse 24, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And this is what happened. And all the hunters said, amen. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. A few more. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Last verse, 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
God the creator created this world, this universe, this galaxy, you and me. I actually had the opportunity this past week to see the Grand Canyon for the first time. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but uh, it was beautiful timing for getting ready to speak on creation. It's like it's, it looks, you don't even look real. It's like it looks like a green screen. It's just unbelievable. It's like God created that, created it, you and me. We read this creation story, and maybe as I was reading it, and, and, and you, you kind of went there quickly maybe in your mind, or maybe as I continued to read it, you, you were thinking to yourself, wait a second, Jason, you don't really believe that, do you? I mean, come on, you, you don't really believe that the earth is only like 6,000 years old and creation happened in like seven days. Like, you don't really believe that. And my answer would be, well, no, I, not really. I, I don't think I do. Not exactly. But the alternative doesn't sound super believable to me either. Albert Einstein said, science without religion is lame and religion without science is blind. And, and so I think at some level we have to at least pause for a moment and admit that God's creative genius may be beyond our limited mental capacity. And, and as Christians, here's what's important. We believe that God created the, the world and, and however he created it and however long it took him to create it. If it was seven days the way we understand seven days, then that's fine. If it was seven days and that means something different to God and his timeline than it does to us, and so that means something different, then that's fine too. If God said, bang, that's fine too. But there is no doubt that God the creator created and spoke this world and our lives into being. And maybe that's been an issue for you. Maybe there's been a hang-up about that, and I, and I get that. But I would encourage you not to major in the minors, that God is all-powerful and knowing, which means I won't understand all the things that he does, but that doesn't mean that I don't believe he does them. Are you following what I'm saying? Okay. So the first thing that we learn about God is that when he speaks, something happens. That God cannot speak without creating. And he's involved in every detail of our life and of this world, down to the molecules and the atoms inside of a plant and our skin. And he's big enough to know the smallest detail about your life because he created the air that's in your lungs and the hair that fell out in the sink this morning. He created it. And when he was finished creating, he looked at it and he said, you did good. You did really good. And the very first story in the Bible establishes God as the supreme authority of everything because he created everything. And that's why we have to go to God to, to find out and to figure out how we should feel and believe and act because he is supremely in charge of it all. And when he got done with it, it was all good. Until chapter 3. That's when we got involved. <laughs> God created man and woman and he placed them in the Garden of Eden in charge of the land and he gave them access to everything in it except one tree. And isn't it crazy how human nature causes us to notice what we're missing instead of what we have? Isn't that so true? That we think of who doesn't like us instead of all the people who do like us. 
As a pastor, I notice who's not at church instead of the ones who are here, right? If you ever want me to miss you, just don't come to church, right? Like, I, I will reach out. We don't think of all the, 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 thing, the blessings we have in life. We think of the things we don't have. We don't know exactly how it happened, but that's, that's what happened to Adam and Eve. And so I want to read, if you, if you still have that Bible, gr- grab that. Look at Genesis 3. I'm just going to read a few verses here at the beginning of Genesis 3. And let's read what happened. Genesis 3, verse 1, here's what it says. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, talking about Eve, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse 4, You won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit, and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. This is literally the worst day in human history. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sin entered into the human DNA. The sinful nature of man was now a part of man and it has been passed down from generation to generation ever since to every person who's ever been born except Jesus Christ who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and not Adam. And it's not the point of the message, but I, I have to at least pause for a moment. And we don't have time to deep dive into it, but, but, but I think it's worth, just for a moment, looking at the conversation between the devil and Eve because the way that he tempted her and convinced her to sin is still the same way that he tempts you and me and convinces you and me to sin. just want to show these to you really quick. The first thing he did is he disguised himself. Uh, we don't know what the devil looks like, but I'm pretty sure that if the devil had just strolled up, you know, looking like the devil, Eve would have been like, you know, get behind me, Satan, or something like that. We don't know what she would have said, but she probably wouldn't have gotten to a conversation. But this was just an animal. It's just a snake. He disguised himself. And here's what I know about you, and here's what I know about me, that we would never knowingly want to engage in any type of relationship with evil or with sin with wickedness, if I told you and you could be certain that that was evil, that was wicked, that was sinful, you would stay away. But when it disguises itself, it gets a little bit harder. It's very subtle, the way that sin and evil sneaks up on us and enters our eyes and our ears and our senses and influences our heart. So the first thing that Satan did is he, is he disguised himself. But then the second thing he did is he questioned God's word. L- look at what he said. He, he, said uh, he said, did God really say, Eve, come on, let's be real. Did, did God really say that? 
maybe you've never said, did God really say, but maybe you've said phrases like, I just don't understand how God could ask me to. I mean, I just think it's ridiculous. I mean, are you telling me that God would really want me or expect someone just, just, just doubting the truth of God? Just doubting the truth of God. Not abandoning the truth of God, just, just questioning it and, and, and wondering why something or a standard or something that God would ask us to do would seem unfair in some way. But then the third thing that the devil did is, is after he doubted or questioned God's word, he, he just he denied it. So, so he says, did God really say, and they just start talking about it a little bit, and then he says in, in verse uh, in verse 4, I believe it is, he says, oh, no, you won't die. You won't die. And then it says that Eve was convinced. Convinced. In my own life, and as a pastor watching people all of these years, this is the same pattern that happens every single time. The subtle influence of sin, then beginning to doubt truth. I just have some questions that doesn't seem right, that doesn't seem fair. But instead of running to the scripture and running to God with our doubts and our questions, we run to other places to bounce those ideas off of them. And then we eventually become convinced of something that is not true, not based on the truth and the standard of God's word. And we're convinced. Influence, doubting, and then denying. And what's scary is the whole time you feel enlightened. You feel as if you somehow are becoming more enlightened and more intelligent and have a greater view than someone else or more insight than someone else or you see it in a better way than someone else and you become convinced. And you begin to do the things that God said not to do. That's what happened to Eve. She fell for it. And her and Adam disobeyed God and sinned. And if there was no Genesis chapter 3, there would be no Bible as we know it because we wouldn't need it. The rest of the Bible tells the story of the consequences of eating that apple. From Genesis 4 all the way to Revelation 21. It's a story about the consequences of what we just read in Genesis chapter 3. The consequences of sin the conflict between God and Satan, sin and righteousness. And from Genesis chapter 4 until Revelation 21, every page of Scripture is a warning and a plea to you and to me to, to turn from sin and to run to God and repent and trust Him with our life. From Genesis 3 on, everything changed. This perfect good world that God had created was broken because that's what sin always does. Sin breaks things. That's what sin always does. It breaks things. And this is the big idea as we start this series about, about this, this, this moment in the garden is that sin promises to make things better but always makes things worse. Always. 
Sin shows up and, 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 and whatever in our senses or our mind or our logic or whatever it is, we, we are promised and convinced that it will make things better. But come on, you've been around long enough, you've lived long enough, you've seen enough. We know promises to make things better, but always makes things worse. And that's what happened to humanity. Satan shows up and says, now, if you eat that apple, you'll be like God. And they ate the apple, and they were separated from God because it makes things worse. And so the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, it shows us how good God is and how terrible sin is. So if you have your sermon guide near you, I want you to grab it. I'm going to show you just just four ways based on what we read and, and summarized a little bit. I just want to show you four ways that we can see how good God is and how terrible sin is. The first way that we see this is is that God creates order, but sin creates chaos. The very first thing we read is that God was hovering over this world that was not pieced together, and it was chaotic, and it was it was just kind of a cosmos, and it was, and God began to piece it together because that's what God does. God creates order. You, you get God involved and things begin to get in order. But sin, sin creates chaos. You know what happens the next chapter after we just read about that apple? A brother is murdering a brother. A relative. It was just an apple. And one chapter later, chaos chaos, because that's what sin does. God creates order, but sin creates chaos. Let me give you another one. God creates confidence. When God was with Adam and Eve, they were naked and unashamed. I mean, just a birthday suit, just hanging out in the garden, Adam and Eve, no insecurity, no taking selfies from the top instead of the bottom because of the neck fat. None of it. Like, just naked and confident. Right? Sin creates shame. See, before sin, Adam and Eve didn't realize that there could be anything wrong with them. They were created by God and loved by God and had a relationship with God. There was no sin. The moment they ate the apple, they felt shame. Because that's what sin does. Sin creates guilt and shame. And guilt says, I did something wrong. And shame says, there's something wrong with me. And that's what happens when you sin. Whatever it is that you experience is great for the moment or whatever it is. But after that's over, you feel guilty for doing something wrong. And you feel like that there's something wrong with you because you can't stop doing things that are wrong. God creates confidence, sin creates shame. Let me give you another one. God creates life. He created the birds and the fish and the animal and he made man and he breathed life into their bodies and into their lungs and gave them life. 
And before the apple in Genesis 3, there was no expiration date on life. There was no funeral, no graveyards, no eulogies. Man was going to live forever. There was no end to it. Sin creates death. God shows up and says, we're going to have to number, number the days. Because the wages of sin is always death. The devil really only has one goal for your life, to destroy it. And so whatever he promises you is the path to death. Whatever God promises you is the path to life. Let me give you this last one. We see this in the creation story that God creates connection, that sin creates distance. That, that God created Adam and Eve, and the, and the Bible says, this is crazy to think about. I, I, I can't even wrap my mind around it. That, that in the evening, God would come to the garden, and Adam and Eve, naked and unashamed, would just walk with God. Just talk. Just conversation. Feel loved. Accepted encouraged, affirmed, never one single thought that anything was wrong or broken. When they eat the apple, sin enters into the DNA of man. And the next time God shows up, Adam and Eve are hiding behind a bush. And God says, Adam, where are you? Because that's what sin always creates. Distance. Distance. Sin is designed to put distance between you and God. And it does. So get this. Sin now has entered into the hearts of men. And over the next 4,000-ish years or so, for the rest of the Old Testament... 4,000 years or so, here's what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen? Chaos, shame, death, and distance. It's the story of the Old Testament. That sin is now in the heart of man, and they cannot get it together, and they cannot get confidence and security and Death is everywhere, and man keeps distancing himself from God. And because of that, 4,000 years of chaos and shame and death and distance, there is only one answer. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Everything that we will read over the next few weeks and our team is going to teach is going to be pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. Because he's the answer to sin and chaos and shame and death and distance. So let's end today by just taking a moment and and doing a little soul searching. Let's look inward for a moment And ask ourselves a few questions. 
Is there a place in your life that's chaos? It's chaos. It just seems as if it's 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 all over the place, and and it was we thought it was a season, but it's not a season. It's a, it's an ongoing cycle, and it's just everything about it is chaotic. Is there a place in your life like that? Is is there a place in your life where you feel shame and insecurity, where you can't stop? saying and feeling like there's something wrong with you? Is there a place in your life that feels lifeless? Feels dead. What about this? Do you feel distant from God? Is there, is there chaos, shame, insecurity, lifeless, distance? If so, if so, you can always trace it back to a lie. Always. At some point, the devil disguised himself in your life, and he showed up, and he convinced you to believe a lie that sin would deliver something better. But sin always makes things worse. The good news is that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And no matter how badly we have broken our life, he can fix it. Jesus always makes it better because of what he did on the cross. And I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. And when I'm done, your campus pastor is going to come and And he's going to give you an opportunity to put your faith in Jesus Christ. To accept that Jesus is the Savior that you need because you bought into the lie of sin and you're tired of a chaotic, shameful, lifeless, distant life. And you want Jesus Christ to come in and to save you and to fix it. I'm going to give you a chance to do that. But before they do, I would love to pray with you. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for Jesus, the answer to sin and shame, death and distance. Thank you, God, that when we did not have a way to know you or to have a relationship with you because sin had separated us, you sent the answer in Jesus Christ. And so, God, I I pray that in this moment where there is chaos in our life, where there is shame and insecurity and regret, where there's death and where there's distance, God, we would decide through the help of the Holy Spirit to stop believing the lie and believe the truth. Believe in the truth of Jesus Christ, the Savior that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.